In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to Stop Raising Einstein. Your host, Tara Kennedy Klein, is out to dispel that myth of the perfect child and encourage parents to let them out of the box. Each child is unique, and this show is just the place to stand up and shout out that fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. So right now, join the queen of accountability who advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. Here is your host, Tara Kennedy-Klein. Hey, Parent Nation. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to Stop Raising Einstein. I am so excited for this show this week. I, um, As many of you may know, um, my youngest son, Alex, has Asperger's syndrome. And he was diagnosed when he was about nine years old. And we are really big advocates for him at school. We fought to get him diagnosed. Um, And when I say fought, I mean like with every ounce of energy that we had in our bodies. We really, um, we knew that something was really unique and special about him, but we just couldn't put our finger on it. And there were a lot of, there were a lot of different things thrown out there, labels and diagnosis and and things that were thrown out that really just didn't stick with us as parents. And so we knew that there was some really different attention that needed to be paid to him as far as his education and that sort of thing. And so we really fought for him to be diagnosed in a time where a lot of parents believe that kids are diagnosed with everything on the planet and are overdiagnosed nowadays. And so when I started studying about Asperger's syndrome after he got that diagnosis, I found that it's something that is fairly new. Um, and I found a lot of brilliant people in the world who were diagnosed as adults who had a lot of the same tendencies and habits and quirks and, and unique brilliance that Alex had, um, but just couldn't put their finger on it. And once they got their diagnosis, it changed their whole life. It changed their outlook on everything. And the other day I was reading through my emails and I got an email from a gentleman who is our guest today. His name is Travis Breeding. And he's a 27-year-old man from Huntington, Indiana, who was diagnosed with Asperger's when he was 22 years old. Uh, So he went through his entire formidable years, school years, all of that, knowing that there was something unique about him, but not really being able to put his finger on it. So when I got this email, I started looking up information about this Travis breeding. And what I found was an amazing person who reminds me so much of what I dream my son Alex to be when he grows up. He is an eloquent speaker. He's an intelligent man. Um, and I was just so excited about the books that he had written. There are so many of them. Um, the, the most recent one that he wrote um, for the kids, well, he just came out with a book, I Want to Be Like You, My Life with Asperger's Syndrome, which was written in a journaling format, which is kind of what my Stop Raising Einstein book is. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to this amazing guest of mine, Travis Breeding. Travis, welcome to the show. 
Hi, how are you? Good, good. <laughs> I hope I didn't embarrass you too much with my uh, my lengthy welcome, but I was just so impressed with everything that you had to say in your email and listening to you speak, and I just couldn't wait to share you with our Stop Raising Einstein audience. And um, so tell me a little bit about what caused you to um, go after the, the diagnosis that you have of Asperger's syndrome. Um, kind of like you said, uh, it's kind of, you go so many years kind of feeling, uh, like you're in really a part of a missing, uh, like you're a part of the wrong planet, you know, like feeling like things around you don't make sense and people around you don't make sense. And just after years and years of trying to fit in, uh, wanting to make friends and having close friendships, um, I started dealing that social rejection and isolation and I sought out counseling, um, in regards to dealing with that. So... How old were you when you started getting counseling? Uh, it was probably 20, 20, 20 or 21, I would say. Wow. So you literally went through your entire, you know, youth, childhood with, without really knowing what was going on. I mean, when you finally got that diagnosis, what did that do for you? Um, I did, I did a couple things. One of them was it provided some answers, obviously, to some questions. Um, you know, what's going on in your life? What's making, uh, these situations happen the way they are? And then it also did another thing. Um, it started a grieving process. Um, usually people, whenever they're diagnosed, and it's kind of interesting, um, as an adult with Asperger's and as a new parent to a child with Asperger's, both of us go through a grieving process. Um, just trying to figure everything out and coming to grips with it and kind of trying to, um, you know, figure out, okay, what do we do now? What are, where do we go from here? Um, and so that grieving process for me kind of, you know, it lasted a long time, a good four, three or four years. Um, and during that grieving process, there's a lot of ups and downs and uh, just a very emotional roller coaster. Uh, but I finally, you know, obviously the first thing I, I did was I went home and started researching Asperger's. Um, probably as you did for your son. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and there's so much information confined on that, um, which really we're pretty blessed to have people sharing their stories um, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of good insight out there. But um, I read, um, I'm sure you're probably familiar with uh, Tony Atwood, um, yeah. read some of his work, Complete Guide to Asperger's Syndrome, and then connected with Stephen Shore and read some of his books. So, Temple Grandin, obviously, was a very influential person that I read as well. So wow. just kind of did some research, coming to terms with it. Um, it really took me a long time, though, to, I mean, I went through a lot of, there's a long time where you're just kind of bitter, kind of feeling left out, I guess. And that I struggled with that for a very long time, just kind of coming to acceptance with it um, and then trying to move forward. Would you say that, um, because I, you know, when one in 78, I live in Pennsylvania, so like when one in 78 kids are being diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder today, um, there's a lot of parents out there who see little little things that their kids do, you know, quirky things or odd things that their kids do, and right away they want to jump to the diagnosis, you know, oh my gosh, they must have autism. They must have this, they must have that. And I also find that a lot of parents have the attitude of not my kid. 
Um, and that was absolutely, I can tell you that that was absolutely my husband. Um, and he, he's the, yeah, he's the one who now says if this diagnosis were around when I was a kid, I probably would have been diagnosed with it myself because he sees so many of our son's traits being consistent with his. Would you say that, um, there are a lot that you notice a lot more Aspergian traits in people than the average person? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, because I kind of live with it. I know what it is. I can find myself. And I'm pretty good at accurately, secretly diagnosing people, you know, I'm just kind of saying, <laughs> oh yeah, you know, they definitely have some stuff going on with that. And it's interesting what you said too about your husband, because I find um, there's a lot of, when getting diagnosed, um, it's typical for men to have that ego characteristic saying, oh, there's nothing wrong with my kid, you know, that kind of thing, kind of not wanting to admit it. Um, yeah. I run into a lot of parents and families that go through that process uh, or moms all, you know, gung-ho wanting to get the diagnosis and kind of go, go with it. But, you know, dad's kind of like, eh, I don't know. You know so that's definitely I think interesting. It is kind of cool. It's, it's, I think it's very um, characteristic of the gender traits, too. Like the moms want to have a reason. We want to have something that we can heal or nurture or work with. And right. guys, men just are fixers, you know. If it's right. broken, I just want to fix it. And if this is something I can't fix, <laughs> I don't even want to deal with it. And right. that is, yeah, that's something that I really found uh. with with our family and with the families that I, I advocate for and work with particularly. It's just, it's such an amazing thing. The one thing that I Definitely. noticed when I was going over your biography is that you, you mentioned that you like football and basketball and tennis. Um, mm-hmm. And then you also mentioned music and hiking and reading. I find that so unique about you because so many of the kids that I know that have Asperger's or, you know, a high functioning form of autism aren't really so into the team sports. They're more into the the solitary things like the hiking or the right. music. Right. So was that was that something that you were drawn to yourself or do you think that that was something that you kind of were brought to? Um, for me, honestly, for me, it was more of a. Uh, I wasn't diagnosed. Um, and so typically, and in some cases this is good, in some cases this is bad, typically what happens that I see is if a child does get diagnosed young, they're kind of um, parents who are kind of afraid. Like, I don't want to send my kid to this birthday party because I'm afraid of what will happen, you know, um, mm-hmm. that type of thing. And so what happens is you end up kind of separating yourselves a little bit more. And so the child grows up kind of feeling okay being isolated you know kind of doing that um that kind of thing as for not being diagnosed i was kind of trying to constantly throw myself out there and being included in activities like that you know just because i I mean i didn't know any better i wanted to be included and wanted to um just be very involved with other people um i'm a people person i like people so but um i think one of the interesting avenues for me and this is why i really enjoy talking to parents about asperger's autism because uh, for me, I'm very high-functioning, and so I kind of, like, a lot of me, like, I'm very comfortable with Asperger's and very cool with who I am, but I actually enjoy being around neurotypicals um, and hanging out with neurotypicals. I'm trying to mm-hmm. figure, you know, and interact with them. And so I spend a lot of time, you know, trying to 
participate in activities that they do and stuff like that. And it's a very it's a very fine process because there are a lot of adults with Asperger's as well who are, you know, kind of going through that same thing. Like you said, they're military, um, keeping to themselves. And part of mm-hmm. that is some of them, some of them might be okay with that. Some of them might be happy with that. But mm-hmm. what I, what, in my opinion, what I see is a lot of people with Asperger's who are like that solitary kind of keeping to themselves partially because they're unsure of how to be included and interact with other people. And so they right. just kind of condition themselves to be, this is how my life is, this is how it's going to be, you know, be happy. Absolutely. And when we come back, I really want to get your take on whether we should be telling our kids early on about their diagnosis. Tara, the self-proclaimed queen of accountability, loudly advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. She wants to help you shout out the fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. We'll be right back. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. I love it. Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen know it. Join these soul sisters on toginet.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. Showcases two sides. One, to help entrepreneurs showcase their products and tell their story of their happily ever after. And two, to interview people who have realized their own fairy tale and doing something to benefit others. This show is here to help folks who have an idea and want to get it off the ground, as well as to inspire people to make the world a better place by doing something extraordinary or out of the box to help others. Both of these entrepreneurs have their own businesses and websites. With more information on their passions and successes, first for Debbie, FairytaleWishesInc.com. And for Deanna, TheNextBigZing.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. With the Soul Sisters, Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen. On toginet.com. It's time to capture the simple piece of the Amish in your own life. Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central. Each week, Suzanne will have conversations with guests about living a life that incorporates principles of the Amish without going Amish. She'll cover the practical, simplicity, slowing down, reducing clutter, putting the brakes on materialism. The historical, how have the Amish survived for 400 years? How can we hold on to what we hold dear? And the spiritual, treasuring important values, honoring the past, and increasing peace of mind. You don't have to become Amish to make personal peace a reality. Amish wisdom will help all of us live a simpler life. For more information, go to SuzanneWoodsFisher.com. With Amish wisdom, Suzanne offers us a glimpse into a world of peace, serenity, and total commitment to family and God. This show just might change the way you live your life. It's Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to the show. Tara's passion and purpose is to redirect parents who are frustrated trying to raise the perfect child in an imperfect world and encourage them to discover the unique brilliance in their children in themselves, even on those days where they wonder why they ever had kids in the first place. Here she is, Tara Kennedy Klein. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We are being joined by um, an amazing author. Uh, his name is Travis Breeding, and he was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome at the age of 22. And being the mom of an Aspergian, I am very passionate about this topic and just loved everything that Travis had to say in his books and in his on his website and in the interviews that I had seen. So I'm really excited to have him joining us today. Um, Travis, before the break, we were talking about how you were involved in a lot of team sports and things like that and, and tried to integrate with the crowd when you were a kid, and you kind of contribute that to the fact that you weren't diagnosed, so you didn't really know that there was any reason that you shouldn't be doing these things, and... Um, I guess what I'm curious about, and I know a lot of the people that I, the parents that I work with are are probably curious about the same thing is, how do you feel about letting our kids know about their diagnosis when they're young, as opposed to just trying to let them grow up neurotypical and kind of hide it? (laughs) Um, No, I definitely, I feel like the earlier, for me, if I had it to do all over again, the earlier I could have known, the better. Um, and I just, I'm really big on telling, make sure your kids know, um, even when they're young, even, you know, five, six, seven years old, just make sure they know what's going on. Um, and also what that does too, and that's what I, my children's book is kind of all about. Um, what we want to do is we want to work with the other kids, the, the neurotypical kids, so to speak. Um, and we want to, not only does your child need to understand that he's special and unique, you know, and it's just a personality, more of a personality thing, really. Um, but we need to educate the other kids and let mm-hmm. them know that, hey, these are this is Asperger's syndrome or, you know, whatever it is, but I'm still a person and I'm just as unique and special as you are. And the issue with doing it, we need to do it at such a young age is because to get the other kids to understand that the neurotypical kids, we really have to hit it home with them before kids get to the age where they start caring about what's cool and popularity um, and all those, like, kind of, clicks and issues and stuff like that so like i always want to teach it like i tell teachers and stuff and parents that i want it you know i want kids to know about it within by second grade the latest in my opinion so wow and you know the thing that's funny about that is and my son wasn't even diagnosed until he was in third grade the end of third grade right. and that's because his behaviors had become so unacceptable to the school right. that mm-hmm. we we had no choice but to get him diagnosed because we needed to put him on an IEP. And I know that's something that we're going to be talking about right. in the next segment. But, you know, it's so true. As soon as we had a diagnosis, um, we went out and um, we got him a book. It's mm-hmm. all cats have Asperger's syndrome or something like that. Okay. And he took it into school and he, um, the teacher actually, when he was out at one of his uh, sensory breaks, the teacher actually read the book to the class and right. um, was able to explain that to them. And that's the thing that I love so much about your children's book. It's called I'm a Child Just Like You. And I love that book so much because when I was reading through it, it made so much sense from a kid's point of view. Like there's, you say some things in there, you say, you like lots of different things. I'm intently focused on one. And I think that's really important to bring that 
point out and then say, for example, you know, you may like lots of different types of video games. Alex is focused on Minecraft. And, right. you know, and then um, you also say things that you experience. I do, too. I just notice them more. And I think that's really important because a lot of his behaviors were exhibited in those environments that were overwhelming to him, like during lunch or during assemblies or lining up to go out to recess, you know, when senses are heightened and people are in close proximity and they're being loud and the lights are bright, that's when he would get into the most trouble. And I think it's so brilliant that you put that into such simple terminology for kids as well as adults to understand, because I think that's one of the biggest things is now with his diagnosis and and having that explained to his class in you know third grade the kids mm-hmm. don't even pay attention anymore it's his new teachers from year to year that really have a problem with him absolutely um, and that's and, what and actually you'll find at a young age like that is um, if we can get them to teach teach other kids and we get them to accept it earlier it's almost like they kind of I mean, they kind of look up to the individual with Asperger's, and I think he's interesting and cool. Um, it's, it's just about teaching them about it, and um, you know, wanting them to wanting them to take notice. And you want them to, the thing is, you want them to see that, yeah, he's got this diagnosis; he got Asperger's syndrome. Um, but we want to stress that you know he's a person just like anyone else. He's a kid just like the other kids. I love that. I love that so much. I mean, well. Without your diagnosis, though, I mean, would you say that you had a lot of friends in school? Um, I would say no. I had a I had a best friend, um, but you know, we consider a best friend in elementary school who actually moved uh, away to Iowa in the fifth grade. And so after that, I never really had um, another what I would consider best friend um, friend. I ended up in a lot of situations in middle school and high school where I thought I had friends, but like it was. We could go. I could go to Taco Bell with them if I bought their meals, you know, and did that type of stuff. Um, so it was kind of more of those, like, once I was being used for friendship, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really, but what, what carried me through elementary, or what carried me through junior high and high school was the special interest I developed in music and trombone. I played trombone, and uh, I was in every band and every played backup band for the show choir. So I spent a lot of time. Um, practicing special interest and what happens typically at least for me and I know in a lot of other cases that has that special interest can kind of become like your best friend um, when you're socially <laughs> withdrawn and you're not um, I mean the next thing I tell people is like um, I'm so big on for a long time I was just stuck when I was going through the grieving process it was just like mm-hmm. I'm Travis I'm just a guy with autism you know and Aww. and now after I've been through that grieving process and I've kind of figured my life out, it's like there's so much more. And now I see I'm Travis. I'm a guy with autism who's doing something awesome and amazing with autism, you know. Um, and so I'm really big on it's kind of a phrase I use: don't just be the noun in life, but become the verb, and then you'll have adjectives <laughs> and adverbs. And so, like even you as a parent, don't just be the mom, but be the mom that did something awesome and amazing, you know. And so, I'm working on it. <laughs> right, right. No, and we all are. We all are. But, um, but I mean, the, the point is that Temple Grandin isn't loved because she has autism. Temple Grandin is known and loved because of what she's done with her life with autism. You know. So. Absolutely. 
You know, it's so funny because I see so many of the things now in Alex that you're talking about. And Mm -hmm. I wish that parents weren't so afraid of the diagnosis. You know, I really wish that they would embrace it more and realize that once you have an understanding, once there's a reason and a name for something, then you can learn to deal with it better and work with it better. One of the things that you mentioned was you said you don't look at it as a disability, you look at it as a personality trait. Yes. And I love that so much, Travis, because one of the things that my son asked me was, will I ever grow out of it? And I was like, you know mm-hmm. what, buddy, if you're anything like your dad, you'll grow into it. Exactly. That's a perfect way of putting it. Um, and another thing that you said, I like what you said. Um, you said it's a reason. Um, you know, there's a reason for something. And that's very important, too. And I struggled with this as I was going through the grieving process. But you always want to remember autism, Asperger's syndrome, um, whatever we want to call it. Autism is a, it's a reason. It's not an excuse. So mm. just remember, always remember it's a reason, not an excuse. I love that that's too. Something that I, that's something that I struggled with for the longest time and, you know, going through the grieving process. But finally, you, I'm, you know, getting through that. So. Do you ever feel like um, that people do use it as a crutch? Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I can't really speak for other people. Um, I know that there have been times in my mind in the past few years where I kind of wanted to um, do that and I struggled not to. Um, and it's very difficult because you're trying so hard socially and it's nothing, nothing's working. And you're just like, you want to connect with people, you want to do this and you want to do that. Um, but I know the problem we have with a lot of adults today is that due to the fact that we haven't, we've kind of failed them, we haven't taught them the successful life skills for a living. Um, and so and I, I know a lot of adults with autism who spend the day, you know, 25, 30, 40-year-old adults spend the day in their parents' basement playing video games, you know, mm. um, and not really doing, not doing too much with their life. Not because they don't want to, but because they don't know how to. I mean, nobody's, nobody's worked with them on the life skills to get out there and do stuff. Um, and so what you'll see is a lot of people who are frustrated, and I went through this, the grieving process where I wanted other people to make my life happen for me. Kind of like mm-hmm. I wanted someone to get me a girlfriend. I wanted someone to get me friends. I wanted someone to do all this and do that. And the reality is, and you have to accept this, that in reality, you're the only person that can make things happen for your life. No matter if it's neurotypical or if you have Asperger's or autism, there's only one person that makes things happen in your life. And that's you. Mm-hmm. Woohoo. <laughs> I I agree um, with that 110%. I think that was pretty much the basis behind Stop Raising Einstein was I knew that I had to give my kids life skills. I couldn't just give them excuses and I couldn't just give them crutches and I couldn't just stand up for them and never teach them how to stand up or believe in themselves. And I think that was the whole basis behind teaching them things like accountability and respectful communication and dreaming for themselves. You know, I think that we, a lot of times the big mistake that we make once our children receive a diagnosis is that we're going to be saddled with caring for them and being responsible for them for the rest of their lives. And I think that if we just appreciate and find out what their dreams are, we would be right. amazed at how productive and wonderful they can be. 
We're going to go to break, but when we come back, what I want to talk about is how we can get through the IEP process. Stay tuned for more of the show. Tara, the self-proclaimed queen of accountability, loudly advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. She wants to help you shout out the fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. We'll be right back. Have you ever wondered why America is facing such a health care crisis? Then join us for Dr. Peter DeVette Live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. He'll answer your health care and medical questions and share with you his knowledge and opinions on topics ranging from holistic health care to spirituality and wellness. You'll find out about the roots of your health care challenges versus symptom management. The holistic approach, how the spirit, mind, and body connection is critical in both the development of illness and the solution to illness. How emotions are directly related to physical illness and how to read your body like a book. Dr. DeVette will also go through your personal questions and how you can navigate through the illness maze. Supplements, medications, therapies, treatment options, surgeries, all kinds of things related to your health. Dr. Peter DeVent live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the million-dollar mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the million-dollar mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to the show. Tara's passion and purpose is to redirect parents who are frustrated trying to raise the perfect child in an imperfect world and encourage them to discover the unique brilliance in their children in themselves, even on those days where they wonder why they ever had kids in the first place. Here she is, Tara Kennedy Klein. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to be talking with Travis Breeding, um, author of I'm a Child Just Like You. And before the break, we were talking about um, realizing kids' dreams and goals and so much responsibility that we put on ourselves as parents when we find out that our child has a diagnosis of autism or Asperger's. And I think one of the big things that impacted me in the beginning was I am, I'm a certified dream coach. So I spent a lot of time coaching adults to achieve their dreams. And 
one day I realized after my son totally melted down on me and, and didn't want to talk to me and was screaming his brains out at me, I realized that I wasn't putting that same time, attention, and effort into helping him to realize his dreams. And right. once we started going through that process, Travis, it was amazing to me how big his dreams for himself are. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, um, <laughs> that's a very important topic, too. Um, I get into, I actually have a book out um, called The Reality of Living Within Two Worlds Now that just came out. Oh, and yeah, I saw that. I spent a lot of time, um, and it's typical of people with autism, spend a lot of time kind of creating a little make-believe world, imaginary world. Um, and so we have, sometimes we have a difficult time with realizing, okay, what is realistic, you know, and what is, um, um, you know, what's kind of fake, make-believe. Um, and, you know, it's great to have, what I learned is I had some really huge dreams, and it's great to have big dreams. Um <laughs> But you've got to have a little bit of realism in there as well and to know that there are certain steps that you need to take in order to accomplish those dreams. So that's right. a big, big thing for me to realize. That's amazing because I am, uh, I'm one of those believers in there's a difference between fa- fantasy and dreams. So, like, when somebody says, you know, oh, I want to be 12 feet tall or I want to build a castle in the clouds, that's a fantasy. But if somebody says, I want to be an astronaut... I think a lot right. of parents go, that's not realistic. And oh, it is. My, yeah, my son would be like, well, why not? <laughs> right, right. Um, and that's often called, too, for people with Asperger's and autism, it's referred to as escaping into imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a very, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big thing for me was, because I use the make-believe world as kind of like a coping mechanism, because the things aren't going well in the real world socially. Then I create this little make-believe world in my head to where I have control of everything that's going on. So I create my life kind of like, um, and that's helpful in some instances, but in a lot of cases it becomes kind of self-harmful because you spend too much time in there, you get away from the real world, and it's there's too much of a gap between that world and the real world. And it's very, it's unhealthy. It can be unhealthy to yourself and unhealthy to your friends. Um, and I had an experience with that this summer. So it was very, um, it's important to keep a healthy balance on that. And I talk about that in the book as well. I really want to read that because we have so much, um, well, the social dynamic with our son that we see from the inside is we allow him to go into these make-believe worlds because that's where he is, that's his pleasure center. Mm -hmm. But what we find is if we leave him in there too long, he really loses a lot of his common social um, eloquence. <laughs> Let's put it that right. way. Yeah, and the, well, the basic social skills. Um, you go into that make-believe world, and as you know, as an adult with Asperger's and autism, um, you know, I come through the phase. But now I realize, you know, it's not my fault that I have autism. It's not. It's not my fault that I have a social skills gap. But it is my responsibility to do something with, and so. Like with a friend this summer, sometimes I get into that make-believe world where that friend is the only person in my world and I kind of cling to them and overwhelm them, smother them, that type of issue. And it's very hard for me because in order for me to not be clingy, in order for me to be kind of more socially appropriate um, with people, I have to really work really hard on it and I have to focus in um, and I have to really, really try to not text someone too much, you know, or call someone too much. And so... Sometimes when I do make a friend, I get a little safe and a little comfortable because I feel like they like me and accept me for who I am. And mm-hmm. I start, you know, 
putting me to them and I stopped focusing so much on it and I stopped trying. And what I've learned is I've really got to, every day I've got to really focus hard on trying to, you know, trying to practice those social skills that are typical for neurotypicals. And so I really put a lot of time and effort into um, trying to re- rework some of the thoughts in my brain and um, just kind of retrain my mind to think more, you know, along the lines of what is socially appropriate and interacting with other people. But, you know, yeah, the make believe world is kind of helpful, but it can also be, if you're in, you know, you're in there too long, you lose a lot of those common practices that you've been working on. Yeah, we, we see that a lot. And we were talking about the um, an IEP. And for people who don't know, it's an individualized educational plan. Um, it's usually in schools. Um, to basically, we were talking about before the break how some of these kids are, well, many of them are brilliant, but without the social skills, their their grades really slip because the school is spending so much time trying to correct the behavioral problems that they're not mm-hmm. focusing on um, just getting the work done, getting the learning right. done. And one of the really amazing things that happened with us last year was Alex had a an IEP goal. And in these IEPs, you set goals for the different different criteria. And so, you know, in math, you'll have a goal in doing your homework. You'll have a goal in sitting still. You'll have a goal, which I find absolutely ridiculous. I think the goals could be much better categorized, but (laughs) he had, he had a typing goal and we never, we don't take these kids to these IEP meetings, you know, the parents or the caregivers and the administrators and the teachers sit down at an IEP meeting and we set these goals for our kids. And being that my children are very focused on setting goals and intentions, because that's one of the big life skills that we teach in, in Stop Raising Einstein, he, the, the one teacher said to him, Alex, you just have to reach this goal and then you don't have to come to my class anymore. Because he was getting really angry about finishing this one thing. Because doing something that you already understand over and over and over again to a kid with Asperger's is like nails on a chalkboard. I already get it. Leave me alone. Let's move on, right? Right. So so he was supposed to complete this typing goal, and she said it to him in those words. And he said, what do you mean I have a goal? He said, if I didn't set it, it's not my goal. Exactly. Literal literal interpretation. I mean, (laughs) absolutely. Right. It was it was so amazing. And what that what what occurred to me in that moment was all of these social skills and, and life skills that we're teaching him at home aren't being applied in the school setting. And something you said, too, about um, how you do the IEPs, um, I honestly would not, if I had a child um, with autism, I would not even start an IEP meeting until my child was present in the room with me for the IEP meeting, honestly. I love that. I think we should start a new way of doing it. (laughs) You know, it's like, whose IEP is this? Is Is it the school? Is it the principal's? Or superintendent's IEP? Is it mom's IEP? Or is it the child's IEP? I mean, exactly. You're a hundred percent right, and I think that's one of the one of the ten thousand things that we do for our children that we should be doing with our children if we want them to be successful. Right, and there's a you know there's a great approach to IEPs as well, and I try to stress this to parents. Um, and I know it's hard not to get frustrated, and it's hard, but hard to control it, but you've got to go into an IEP meeting thinking there are three parts, and really in life, there are three parts to any relationship you're in. Um, and Brian King is an author of a great book, um, 
strategies for building successful relationships for people on the autism spectrum. Um, and there are three parts, and it's uh, you, me, and we. And a lot of people focus in on thinking relationships only have two parts, the you and the me. But in order for a relationship to work, you have to negotiate relationships so that you are happy, I'm happy, and then we as a whole are happy. And so a lot of parents go into an IEP meeting and say, well, what are you going to do for my son? You know, instead we need to go in and say, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to make sure that my child and your student succeeds? Absolutely. And that's one of the biggest things that um, in the in the advocacy that I do for families is the first thing that I say is if you go into this meeting with a bad and negative attitude about someone else failing your child, then nothing will come of this meeting. Well, and I didn't stretch that further. Like if you go in there with a bad attitude about someone else failing your child, then really you're failing your child. Yes. I agree 100%. I mean, and the other thing that I think we we really kind of slack on, I'm, t- I'm being politically correct, the one thing that we fail on in IEP meetings is we only do it once a year and we think that's good enough. Absolutely. You know, yeah, that's... I mean, it's... Right. And then I'm going to the, the school at 2 o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> right. You know? That's great. And be there as much as you can. I mean, make them... Uh, and it's funny because a lot of parents really don't know Article 7, you know, really don't know what's in it. And I honestly really don't know Article 7 myself. But I know that if you, I know because I've been around enough that they're going to do as little as they can do in most cases. And so unless you can, unless you know what you're doing, your child's barely going to get by. But if you know what you're doing, you can make them, you know, put some things in place and set some goals and do some stuff with your child. Absolutely. And I think the big thing, too, that we found is when we went into the school and said to them, look, you are the experts in education. We are the experts in our child. If we can put our heads together and come up with a plan that's going to to help them thrive in this educational setting with the behaviors that we know exist and the systems, the reward systems that we know work mm-hmm. at home, if we can put these things together and create a program for this child, then we will all be successful. Absolutely. And, I think um, and you know, and the big thing, too, is to make sure not only do we have academic skills or academic goals in place, but let's have life skills goals in place as well. Um, because a lot of schools, and this is just the way we, the country operates now, um, is that our main goal is to get this child to pass the state standardized test. And if we can get them to pass that, then we're doing great, and we're moving on. And so, mm-hmm. but my question is, okay, I that's great, that's awesome. So I'm going to go into a job interview, say at McDonald's or say wherever, and somebody's going to say, ask me, what qualifies you to be a cashier working in my place, or what qualifies you to be an employee for me? Well, I'm going to go in and say, well, I passed the state standardized test in tenth grade. <laughs> Absolutely. When we come back from commercial, we're going to talk about how life skills are the most important thing we can teach to our kids. Self-proclaimed queen of accountability, loudly advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. She wants to help you shout out the fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. We'll be right back.
ready to get your woohoo on? From business and branding to babies, best-selling books, and personal breakthroughs? Then it's time to tune in to Woohoo Radio, Love, Life, Business, and the Pursuit of Happiness with your host, Lisa Stedman. Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Using her signature blend of inspiration, motivation, and kick-butt action, best-selling author and chief woohoo woman, Lisa Stedman, wants to help you discover the woohoo that only you can do. Lisa will show you how to create your signature woohoo way of love, life, business, and the pursuit of happiness without losing yourself. If you're tired of a one-size-fits-all approach to career, relationships, and personal growth, get your weekly woohoo on with Lisa and her rock star guests as they reveal their personal stories of bouncing back from boohoo of rock bottom into the woohoo of love, life, business, and the pursuit of happiness. Check out her website, lisastedman.com. Join us for Woohoo Radio, love, life, business, and the pursuit of happiness. Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Are you fascinated by the stories behind the stories, the people behind their masks, the truth about people's failures and redemptions in both their business and personal lives? Then Off the Record Secrets of with host Judy Schreiner is for you. It's people's secrets that make them interesting, but very few folks are willing to reveal them unless they trust that their information will be treated with accuracy, fairness, and respect. People have been entrusting their secrets to longtime business journalist Judy Schreiner for the last 25 years, and now she's bringing her expertise and impressive contact list to Rockstar Radio Network. Tune in and call in as host Judy Schreiner talks to guests off the record as they reveal new secrets each Tuesday at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. Welcome back to the show. Tara's passion and purpose is to redirect parents who are frustrated trying to raise the perfect child in an imperfect world and encourage them to discover the unique brilliance in their children in themselves, even on those days where they wonder why they ever had kids in the first place. Here she is, Tara Kennedy Klein. Hi, welcome back, everybody. We are with uh, talking with Travis Breeding, who is the author of I'm a Child Just Like You, as well as, oh my gosh, many other books on living life with Asperger's Syndrome. And uh, before the break, we were talking about um, IEPs and setting goals for our children academically. And I think that, um, <clears throat> Travis, you and I agree very strongly on one very important point, which is, you know, we can we can force our children to succeed academically, but we have to teach them and give them the lessons if they're going to succeed socially and in life. And right. I think that life skills are, are one of the least taught topics, but I think they're, and, and I think we agree on that, they're, they're probably the single most important thing <laughs> that we should be teaching our kids, particularly when they're on the spectrum. And to your point, you know, it's a struggle to remember from day to day what all the social rules are. You know, it's easy to remember times tables and right. it's easy to memorize, you know, the states and the state capitals when you have mm-hmm. something like Asperger's, but exactly. to remember to say please and thank you and to remember to say one second instead of shut up is mm-hmm. is not so easy, you know? Right, I, right. So... Mm-hmm. 
you talk about um, well, you talk about the importance of life skills in your books, and you also talk about this uh, social thinking and social context. Right, um, and that's a very important topic as well because a lot of even when we do teach teaching social skills, it's very important to like you can teach me a social skill in one setting, but for me, I have to learn it in each setting. So, like for me to go say approach someone and say hi to someone at school, would be different than sitting in a restaurant or seeing someone like in the grocery store and going up and saying hi to them. And so you can teach a basic skill, but then that's great. But then we've got to take them out and we've got to show them different settings and different environments and how things apply because contextually everything is different. And, you know, true story, and this is just where we're talking about the importance of context. Um, Dr. Peter Gerhardt tells a story. I mean, he's a behavioral analyst from New York and you know, a woman, autistic woman, woman with autism. Um, she's pregnant. Um, she had a kid. Uh, growing up, her mother had told her that she couldn't get pregnant until she got married, um, meaning that mom didn't approve of that. Like, mom didn't want her to get pregnant until she got married. Now, the girl with autism, sadly, took that literally and thought that mom meant that scientifically and physically it wasn't possible for her to get pregnant until she got married. Oh, and no. so she had no idea it wasn't using any protection, nothing. And that's where, you know, context comes into play. I mean, context is everything. And it's even in social situations, like you're going up to someone and you're meeting someone new, you know, you, it, how you interact with someone is based off of the context that you've created with them. And so, like, if I walk up to someone new, like, say I just see you in Walmart. So I walk up and say, hey, I'm Travis, how are you? How's your mom doing? But I've never talked to you before in my life and I'm asking how your mom's doing. <laughs> There's no context created for me to be asking you how your mom's doing, you know, that yeah. type of thing. And so it's important that we we have to understand the context level that we're at with someone in order to know how to interact with them appropriately. And we also, the, the big thing about that, too, is when you're first meeting someone, that context, a lot of that context is how you can approach them and say hi to them and how you talk to them. How do you think that's created? Before you even say a word to them, how is that context created? Nonverbal communication and body language. <laughs> so wow. it's very, very important to that you're working on context, um, that kids understand, yeah, let's have this social skill. It's a technical social skill, but we have to take it and apply it and understand the context that we're at with someone. You know, it's so funny, too, because a lot of the kids that I deal with are – um, being disciplined for behavioral issues that are out of their control and they just haven't been diagnosed yet. And right. it's so hard for parents to understand, particularly if they have more than one child and one of their child children is neurotypical and the other one is autistic. Um, mm. For example, for Alex, he spilled, when he was much younger, he spilled an entire cup of... of um, punch or something like that in my car while I was driving mm -hmm. and I got so angry and I pulled over and I'm like, Oh, that's just great, Alex. And he looked at me like it was great. Really? Well, Why was that great? That was terrible. <laughs> do you want me to do it again? <laughs> right. You just reinforced him doing that over and over again. <laughs> yeah. But you don't even think about it because in, in a time when sarcasm has just become another uh, way of speaking, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's almost become a dialect, right? Our kids don't understand that sarcasm. 
Like Alex will say something to me and he'll look at me and go, was that sarcastic? And clearly it was, you know, (laughs) but he just, you know, he's trying to feel his way through those, those social cues. And when kids say things to him, he'll come home and like a kid will say something really, really rude to him and he'll come home and tell me how this kid is his best friend because the kids, you know, it's just, it's so bizarre how they, there are just certain things about, um, conversation, some certain rules about conversation that they just don't get. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's just, well, he tells his teachers, we, we went through this big thing where he was getting, um, he was losing recess because okay. he was telling his teachers to stop talking to him. Okay. And the teachers were getting really offended. And I started this whole thing when he was really young of saying, okay, but what happened first? Mm-hmm. And when we would, when I would ask that question, well, what happened first? Well, we were all reading and Alex was asked to stop reading and he wouldn't. So I kept telling him to put down the book and then he started getting rude. And then I had to send him to the principal. Well, what was rude? Well, he told me to stop talking to him. Well, that's because mm-hmm. he wanted you to stop talking to him. Yeah, because <laughs> you were interrupting his reading. <laughs> You know, this wasn't the kid being rude. He was he was being very literal is what he was being. So, you know, a lot of times in the schools, we we really mistake literal conversation for rudeness. Right. And I think that's really in life in general. We do a lot of people um, as a society like people with Asperger's are great at conversation. Like if you say something to me, that's what you mean. And that's what I mean. If I say something, that's what I mean. But nine times out of ten, when people say something, they really don't mean exactly what they're saying in most situations. And so it's very hard for someone with Asperger's to, you have to pick up on implied meanings. And, you know, a lot of what, if you really want to understand what someone's saying, you really do have to be able to read their body language and their um, tone of voice and their facial expressions. And that's so hard for a lot of these kids because, I mean, honestly, one of the most difficult things for Alex to do is to look you in the face. Exactly. You know, no, I understand that. <laughs> and so it's it's kind of hard to read someone's facial expressions when you're not seeing them. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and one of the things that well, and I, I and I tell a story about it. Really, I mean, they say communication is like seven percent verbal, ninety three percent nonverbal. And so, really, what you're dealing with is an almost kind of in a sense you're dealing with someone who's like ninety three percent blind. I mean, so to speak. You know what's a really great example of that is, and I'm, I'm not absolutely not going to have a, a political conversation right now, but <laughs> right. but a perfect example of that would have been the vice presidential debate. Mm-hmm. People, there were there were a group of people who were watching that debate who would have looked at Vice President Biden's facial expressions as being disrespectful and condescending and rude. My kid would have watched him and thought he was happy and having a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's very, it's hard to, and that's hard for us to understand is, you know, how, what, why you're telling me something, but you're really meaning something else. And so we just, we really struggle with that. That's really an incredible um, observation to make that 
we don't, we should really be spending a lot more time on social skills than we do with these kids. If you could sum up in like one minute, what, what was the, the thing that helped you most coming through this journey of being diagnosed and, and realizing that you had Asperger's, if there was one thing that helped you the most? Um, honestly, I wouldn't say necessarily a thing. Um, people thought Asperger's, people thought autism. I mean, I don't feel like in a lot of instances where a kid, you know, lower functioning, nonverbal, yeah, a cure would be great because we do want to hear our children speak. You know, we do want to hear our children talk and live happy lives. But for me, um, it came in the form of hope and like of all my life, I really just wanted, I, I just wanted a best friend and I wanted to have a best friend. And like recently, within the past, you know, over the past year, I've developed a friendship with my friend Heather. And like just having that one close friend that understands you and gets you that you can lean on and, you know, talk to and just, um, I don't know, it's hard to explain. Just having like a friend, the friend is like hope, knowing that you have mm-hmm. someone who gets you and understands you. And it makes it easier. It makes every day easier. And it's just easy to get up and go and you know, knowing that you have that person that one person who gets you um and yeah i mean but you definitely got to teach because for me my journey and this is where life skills are so important like i had straight a's in elementary school and like i got to middle school and you know things change socially a lot middle school and you're going from playtime on the playground to now socializing as conversation and clicks form and popularity happen and i had no idea what to do i was lost in middle school and mm-hmm. so you see in middle school, my grades went to B's and C's and, you know, I had some D's in high school because, yeah, I could do all this academic stuff. But to me, the academics didn't even matter because I was so worried about connecting with others and making friends, you know. And so I just kind of like shut down academically and didn't retain academic information. And mm-hmm. even now, it's like even for job interviews, even like career oriented stuff. I mean, yeah, I can do any job, but and it, it's you want to have friends and you want to have connections. And so like, that's just a huge piece of the puzzle. If you don't have life skills, um, there's a great quote by, um, you know, some people in the field. And I love this quote. It's life skills will carry you farther in life with no academic skills and academic skills will carry you in life with no life skills. And, you know, you can be the smartest person in the world, but if you don't know how to relate to other people, you're not going to get that job. You're not going to get through that job interview. You're not going to, Really, um, social skills and that stuff, Um, the key to life. Absolutely, Travis. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for being such an amazing guest today. And be sure to check us out on Facebook and TravisBreeding.com. Thank you so much, Travis. And everybody, have a wonderful week and keep playing. And, of course, listen to 